The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Are you ready to create a life that's intentional and dynamic? Welcome to The Intentional Spirit with your host, Reverend Temple Hayes. And welcome everyone and thank you so much for being with us and we we greet you from all over the, the world today and so grateful that you really tune into the idea of being intentional and being an intentional spirit that would be defined as a person that doesn't just stand on the sidelines, but actually sees a cause or uh, feels a purpose or uh, looks at adversity around them and actually creates change or involves themselves or creates an organization in which they can live their lives as a difference maker. And none other than our guest today, Bud Philbrook. He is a mover and shaker. He is a person that, like so many of you and like me from time to time, we look at the world that could use a little help with balance. You have opulence, abundance, rich on on one area, on an island or a planet or a section, and then you have poverty, on the other. So, Bud, welcome to our show today. I'm so glad you're with us. And I'm not even going to start to tell your story because it's a great one. You are the creator and founder of Global Volunteers, an amazing, successful organization. But you had a starting point. Tell us about it. Well, thank you, Temple, and, and thank you for having me on your program. I greatly appreciate the opportunity. Um, my mother taught us, my nine sisters and one brother, that the purpose of life was service, service to others. My father had a wanderlust for the world. He never traveled anywhere. He could not afford it. But he subscribed to the National Geographic magazine, and he gave me the maps from those magazines years and years ago, and I had them plastered all over my wall in my room. And from that, I got this sense that I ought to do something internationally. Um, Years later, my wife and I were married. But before we we got married, we planned a honeymoon. We were going to be on a windjammer cruise in the Caribbean. And this was at the time of the of uh, people from uh, Southeast Asia getting on rickety old boats, sailing to freedom. They were on the news every night because their boats were capsizing 
And we went out to dinner one evening, and Michelle said to me she didn't want to go on that cruise. She didn't want to play on the same water that these others were dying. And so instead of that, we spent a week of our honeymoon volunteering in a rural village in Guatemala. That was that was Michelle's part of the honeymoon, just so you have things in proper perspective. We also spent a week at Disney World, which was my part of the honeymoon. <laughs> but and, but Bud, you know what? I mean, though, when you when you think about that and you look at it from a another perspective, of course that was your week because you are such a visionary, and that's what Walt <laughs> Disney was. So that doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> well, both weeks were exhilarating, but mm-hmm. the week in the rural village in Guatemala was the one that changed our lives. Uh, from that week, uh, because of people that Michelle knew from her journalism background, the Minneapolis Star Tribune put us on the front page of the Metro section, told our story of where we where we honeymooned. Back then, they called that a man bites dog story. It's not something you were supposed to do on your honeymoon, to go to a rural village and volunteer. But people read that story, and they told us that they'd read it, and they asked us how we did it. Many, many people said to us, this was something that they would like to do. The Peace Corps was too long for them. Uh, They had young kids, or they had elderly parents, or they had student loans, or mortgages, or whatever. Prevented them from doing something long-term in international service, but they could do short-term. They could do a couple of weeks. And so it was out of that, those conversations that we realized that there was an opportunity to create for others the chance to make a difference on this planet in ways they otherwise never would be able, never would be able, and add meaning to their own life in the, in the process. And that's how we started That's an incredible story, and it it was just so destiny-oriented because it just, it met you and and you met it with grace and enthusiasm, and that was, was it 32 years ago? 35. 35. But but, but who's counting? (laughs) Right, who's counting? Uh, we are we're tuning in to um, talking with uh, Bud Philbrook, and the website is globalvolunteers.org. That's globalvolunteers.org. And so you had people coming; they were interested in doing short-term vacations uh, that were cause-related. And how how did the early days happen for you? Was it was it thirty in the thirty-five years ago? Was it easy to put these types of programs together? No, it was, it was anything but easy. We, we really had no idea how you would do this. There, there were no other models. Uh, USA Today calls Global Volunteers the granddaddy of the volunteer vacation movement. There, there just wasn't anything else out there. Non-sectarian, we, we decided early on that even though Michelle and I were doing this out of our personal faith journey. 
that we knew there were places in the world that um, it, that would be difficult if we were associated with any specific denomination or faith-based organization. And so we did this, um, we did this as a non-sectarian effort, and, and there just wasn't any model for that. And so we learned, I think in probably the first four or five years, most of that was what's called commonly in the manufacturing business, R&D, research and development, trying to figure out how to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, once, we, once we figured that out, uh, then we expanded. Uh, but it was never easy, and it was always challenging economically. Uh, we never had enough money. Michelle, Michelle oftentimes comments that uh, we looked at bankruptcy straight in the eye and bankrupts blinked. <laughs> yeah, you really were the you were you get you gave uh, the startup organization a whole new meaning. <laughs> we ran it out of my law office, which was quite fascinating because um, my law partners at first agreed and then wished they hadn't. Uh, and so after about six years, uh, we took global volunteers uh, uh, out of the law office and and uh, put it in its own office space where we could uh, do the work that we needed to do. But it was a fascinating, fascinating journey, and it's been a great ride for Michelle and me, our three sons. Uh, there's no looking back. It's It's been wonderful, and it's been... It's been truly wonderful for most of the 35,000 volunteers who have served with us someplace on the planet. Many, many people, many, many people tell us that, you know, they say, I, 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 went, to, I went to give, but I received so much more than I gave. Or they say, I went, you know, I went, I went to teach, but I learned so much more than I taught. Uh, the rewards of service are enormous, and the needs are great. So it's a it's a wonderful, wonderful opportunity for for everyone. Well, you are in China. You do community projects in China, Cook Islands, Cuba, Ecuador, Greece, Italy, Peru, Poland, Portugal, Romania, Saint Lucia, Tanzania. And in the U.S., Montana, South Dakota, West Virginia, and also Vietnam. You do such a wide range of things. Could you elaborate and talk about the, the variety of projects that are available that people can get involved in? Sure. First, it's important to note that we only do what local people ask us to do. Okay, wherever local agenda. is. We don't have an agenda. We're not about anything in particular other than service to others. Mm-hmm. Now, over the years, because of the many organizations, local communities with whom we've worked, we actually do everything because people have asked us to do everything. And then when we tell other organizations, local organizations that we partner with abroad, 
when we tell them what we're doing in other places, then they ask us to do some of those things too. So the, the, the end result is that all of the things that I'm about to describe, we're doing almost everywhere now, but always and only because the local leaders asked us for their help. And we break them down into primarily a couple, two or three uh, large categories. The first is teaching conversational English. English is a passport out of poverty. It is the international language of opportunity. Uh, when, when, when people in other countries, non-English speaking countries are able to learn English, it transforms their life because English is the language, the international language, uh, international language of commerce, of technology. Um, and so all of us who are native English speakers have this free gift that we can literally give away. And it doesn't cost us anything to give it. Um, People all over the world want to learn English, and they may have excellent English teachers, grammarians, um, but it's the pronunciation and the idioms, um, how the language, the syntax, how, the, how the, the words are strung together, that if, if, for, when, when a native English speaker is, is working with uh, people who want to learn English, that's so valuable, so helpful. And so we do a lot of that. We do a lot of English teaching around the world. The second major category um, focuses on children who are struggling. Their parents, uh, their communities uh, are struggling because of economic poverty, food, nutrition, infectious disease uh, deplete their ability to reach their full potential. And so we work with parents to help pregnant women and new moms and dads and young kids um, ensure that they have sufficient food, nutrition, protection from infectious disease, appropriate education, the opportunity to live the life that uh, God intended. And, and, and that's a, an amazing uh, way to spend some time. So that encompasses everything. We, we, we teach in the schools. We conduct workshops in a wide variety of areas for moms. We have health clinics. We're volunteer medical doctors and nurses and dentists provides uh, health services. Um, we, we help local people grow food in container gardens. We help them with chicken coops and fuel-efficient stoves, and just a wide variety of activities. Anything that someone wants and can do, uh, we can engage them. I want to talk about the um, the gardens and the earth boxes, <clears throat> if that's okay with you right now, uh, because um, in all of you that are listening, um, definitely 
to go on a, a, a cause-related, being-of-service vacation uh, to do one of these programs with Global Volunteers um, is incredible and the ability to be able to do that. And we're in the process of working on a Peruvian trip right now. So stay in tune with my website, templehaze.com or firstunity.org. But that being said, um, we also decided here that you can also do little, little while you're waiting to do big, big. And so we have some uh, examples here on our grounds of the earth boxes and you can actually utilize that concept by asking your community to make uh, small donations, which small to you wind up being large to a family in Tanzania or other places throughout the world. So you can go to firstunity.org and see the type of uh, graphics and what we've done to align with global volunteers, because I, I think that's important. Um, and I think it's uh, significant to highlight because, um, but in my own life experience, and I, I think it was where I was in the beginning because I'm so cause and, and uh, social activist and, and want to be part of the change instead of the issues and all of that. But often back then I would go, well, God, so, so much to do, you know, it's a lot, you know, I mean, and I would find with myself at that time and with other people that I talk to now, they'll convince themselves intellectually that something's a lot and therefore they don't do anything, you know? So I, I think it's important um, for people to realize you can always do something, you know, you can always uh, make a difference and and serve. So I just wanted to highlight that because I love that you're doing that. Uh, my encounter with you was um, life changing, and I've supported many films uh, like Every Three Seconds, where every three seconds someone dies or is debilitated through hunger, and you know those kind of things, and done different projects. But when you said to me. Uh, by 2020, one of every four children will be stunted. I It just stopped me in my tracks. It just literally stopped me in my tracks. So thank you for that. Well, yeah, it's something that most people are simply unaware of. The World Health Organization estimates that today one out of every as you mentioned one out of every four children are stunted and what stunting means is that in in the, in, the, in just the, the definition means that they are in height to age two or more standard deviations below the norm but it's much more serious than just being short for your age stunted children if it persists through the second birthday, it is permanent. And stunted children have impaired, significantly impaired cognition and suffer from all kinds of physical ailments as they get older. Well, impaired cognition means, generally speaking, that they're going to struggle to learn in school the rest of their lives. In fact, may never be able to truly learn as you and I understand that. And, and it's stunting is absolutely preventable. And so garden boxes and they're pre, it's preventable with 
provide by when parents have food, nutrition, protection from infectious disease for themselves and their children. And the food and nutrition piece can be provided by garden boxes, earth boxes in the U.S. These are very simple technology developed by a fella in, um, in Bradenton, Florida, not far from where you are, Temple. Um, and and they're, they're literally magic boxes because they produce three to four times the amount of vegetables that the same amount of land in a shovel in the earth garden, shovel in the dirt garden would produce. They're easy to use. They're, you can't overwater them. You don't need to weed them. Um, they're, they're just magic, uh, magic gardens. And, but families can't afford them. Uh, and so that's what you're proposing is that people can help. They can help by uh, donating money to Unity or to Global Volunteers for the purpose of purchasing those boxes so that families can grow their own food. There's plenty of food on the earth. There's no question about that. And sometimes people will argue, yeah, but it's just a question of distribution. All we got to do is figure out how to distribute it, and then we won't have the problem of hunger. And that may be true, uh, but an easier way to resolve hunger is to create the opportunity for hungry people to grow their own food. And once they grow their own food, once they know how to do that, they're never hungry again. Don't have to worry about distribution. They're able to be self-sufficient, self-reliant. And these boxes help a great deal in that regard. I, I just, I, I listen to you and I just, <laughs> I, it's just, I'm just so grateful that you've, you've, t- you and Michelle have taken this on as a way of, of serving. And you have a lot more uh, other projects as well. Um, do you want to continue talking about those? Because they're all very, very significant and important. Sure, I'd love to say a word about Peru because um, uh, hopefully sometime in 2019, uh, you and a group of folks will will serve at uh, Sagrada Familia. Uh, Sagrada Familia is a large center for orphaned, abused, and abandoned children. They have 600 children there, zero to 17. And then in addition, they have uh, 700 day students that come from the very impoverished uh, surrounding communities. Uh, This is north of Lima, uh, not far from the uh, Pacific Ocean, uh, but in a very uh, impoverished and, and, and difficult place. It was started by a man who lost his son, uh, who, who was an infant, his infant son. And the power of that personal experience uh, drove him to help other children. 
And now he and his staff are helping 1,300 other children. And, <laughs> and he's been doing this for 30 years, so it's been going on and on for a long time. Uh, but he doesn't have the resources necessary to meet all the needs of the children. When I asked him, when I first met him, I asked him what he needed most. And he said, food. He didn't say money. He didn't say textbooks. He didn't say beds or dressers or clothing. He said food. And we had lunch with the students that day. And I understood why he said food, because while there was enough food to fill the stomach to quash the hunger pains, uh, there was a tremendous need for micro and macronutrients, the, the, the kind of nutrition that's necessary for people to live healthy lives. And so we're going to, we're going to, um, to uh, start uh, earth boxes there. We have 30 of them that uh, sometime soon, I don't know, the staff there is working on it, but sometime soon those 30 boxes will, will be in place and, uh, and as, as the first down payment, if you will, on helping them get food. But in addition to that, uh, the children want to learn English. They need to learn English. I asked a class of seniors uh, one day why they wanted to learn English. And they looked at me like I was from a different planet. And then they finally said, because you must know English. You must know English to go to the university. You must know English to get a job. You must know English to, to be able to um, uh, start or run a business. You must know English for everything, even though of course, Peru is a Spanish-speaking country. Uh, so there's that opportunity. They have, they have little ones, uh, infants and toddlers. Uh, there's staff there, but there's never enough staff to give the love, care, and attention that the littlest ones need and crave. And so one one staff person for 15 or 20 uh, infants and toddlers is enough to make sure that they're safe, but it's not enough to give them the nurturing that every child deserves and requires. And so volunteers have the opportunity to play with babies. So if you're a grandma or a grandpa that likes to play with babies and you want to make a difference in a child's life and change the arc of that child's life, you can go to Lima, Peru for one, two, or three weeks and play with babies or help with a myriad of different kinds of labor projects, fixing things on this large campus. They have a medical clinic there, so healthcare professionals. Uh, we engage healthcare professionals primarily uh, for the students, the 1,300 or the children, the 1,300 that are on the campus. Uh, the, the, the clinic is also available to members of the community, uh, but our volunteers, are. we've been asked to focus on, the, on the, the care for the children. So it's just a wide variety of things, and I'm, we're so looking forward to uh, your going there. Oh, yeah, so am I. I'm, well, I'm just um, so grateful to be aware of 
of you and your team and all that you are about and, and what you're doing. And it's just, um, it's been, it's been a defining moment in my life. Let me just say that a defining moment and, um, and just continuing to learn, you know, more and more about it. I want to remind everyone to go to globalvolunteers.org and look at all the various things that this organization has been doing over 35 years and various projects and experiences that you can be a part of that is so different than just your average vacation of memory makers and photos, but that you actually, as Bud is saying, can can make a difference in an entire village or in many people's lives. So it's such a blessing, an absolute blessing. Great stuff, Bud. <laughs> we'll be right back after this short break. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Welcome to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. This programming is made possible through the generous donations of listeners like you. If you feel inspired by this programming, we invite you to contribute. Go to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate to make your offering today. Thank you for your support. Welcome back to The Intentional Spirit with Rev. Temple Hayes. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in. We are talking to Bud Philbrook, who is the co-founder of GlobalVolunteers.org, a vacation cause-related organization which serves the planet as being difference makers and making lifelong change. I want to urge you to call in if you would like to ask Bud a question about his organization or some of the trips that his um, company does, 816-251. Three five five five. That's eight one six two five one three five five five. And so, um, Bud, through the thirty five years that you've been doing this, I can only imagine the various uh, letters and accolades and experiences and many children's eyes and facial expressions that have changed in your experience. Do you have some favorite ones that come to mind? Well, there are so many, both on the part of the volunteers as well as uh, local people. Uh, Volunteers, uh, there was a woman who served with us many years ago in uh, Pomeran, Tanzania. And Pomeran had a secondary school where we worked at, and she taught at that school. The school had 60 uh, Maasai girls. Uh, Maasai is a tribe uh, in Tanzania um, th- that is culturally known for uh, its 
young girls marrying very early, uh, in the early teens. Uh, but these girls that were at the secondary school where we worked uh, either had not married or uh, had somehow figured out a way to continue their education uh, away from their village. Um, but none of them had uh, the resources to do this. And so they were all dependent on someone else paying their way. So she, after she was there several weeks, she decided to start a foundation to pay the tuition and room and board for these girls. And she's been doing that now for, I don't know, 15 or 20 years. Just dedicated her life so that these young women could attend school who otherwise would never be able to. That's kind of life-changing. You know, you think about that. You just spend a couple of weeks in a village and all of a sudden you've changed your the whole direction of what you were doing. Uh, pretty remarkable. Absolutely, uh, it, it, no, uh, no doubt about it. I, I went to Peru um, ten years ago, and just that experience alone, um, I, I must say it, it, it changed a lot of the ways that I view things. And one of the things that was so fascinating to me was seeing the joy. And the children's on the children's faces and in their eyes. And I was telling people how, uh, you know, here it's consumption and, you know, commercialized. Let me get the toy and the other thing and the new thing. And I got to have that. And, you know, I want this to be broken so I can get the new super duper newest thing that's come out. And, and there they were finding so much joy all afternoon in playing like imaginary football or a game with a with a plastic uh, water bottle having the time yeah. of their lives yeah well we all know when we think about it we really know that all those things that we buy doesn't bring us any genuine life satisfaction there's no meaning in that the meaning in our life is the relationships we have with others whether it be our family or friends, um, we're distracted by all these things. Uh, in, in, in developing countries, there aren't as many things to be distracted by. And so relationships uh, play just a much more significant role. I remember we were working on a school in Guatemala, and uh, it was... Uh, building this this school there had been some uh, bad uh, there had been, been a bad earthquake and it had damaged the school considerably and so we we'd been asked to help repair it and there was maybe 10 or so volunteers and another 10 or 15 local men all working on this thing and we had to meet a deadline it was their deadline but they had to get this ready before school started and that was only a a, a few um, weeks away and we're working on this building laying block and all of a sudden the foreman stops puts down his troll and walks down away from the building to greet another fella we didn't know who he was who was walking down the road and they start they chatted for a while and we 
when he did that, then all the other Guatemalans, they just kind of put down their trowels and stopped working. And then all the volunteers stopped working. And then he, shortly thereafter, he came back and everybody got back to work. But that evening over dinner, one of the volunteers said, you know, I just couldn't believe it. Here we were working. We're trying to meet this deadline. And the foreman just takes an unauthorized break and goes and talks with this dude. One of the other volunteers said, you know, I've been thinking about that all day. And I've concluded that to him, to the foreman, that his relationship with that man walking down the road was just more important than finishing that particular set of blocks on that particular day. Relationships were just more important. There's great learning in that. There's great learning in that for all. Uh, I think if we focused more of our energy and time on relationships, uh, the world would be a better place. Oh, no doubt. No, no doubt about it. What do you feel that this journey of 35 years has taught you and Michelle? Or is there a way to simplify even a paragraph or several answers related to that? What have you come to know for sure? That's a, that's a big question. It's a loaded a, question. <laughs> it's a very big question. Um, we have three sons. They're all finishing graduate school now. They're in, in various, um, uh, in another year or two, they'll all be done with law school and their MBA. And, um, and they're hopefully, uh, their desire is to take over this uh, effort uh, that we've been engaged in all these years. But in preparation for that, I'm, I'm writing down the answer to your question. Uh, what have I learned? And um, uh, it's called, it's a book called Lessons for My Sons. Mm. And it's a series of vignettes. Uh, and then the lessons learned from those vignettes in a hope to share with them uh, how, how generous this experience has been for me and for Michelle. Um, it's just a wide variety of things, but I think probably the most important, if I had to push and push to tell you what is most important in all of this is that the greatest joy, the greatest genuine joy of life is to serve others. And, and, and serving others who you don't even know, it's, it's not like they're your next door neighbor, they're your neighbor across the planet. For reasons I cannot explain, even brings more joy than helping the person across the street. It seems to me that the further away, the more removed, the less interaction um, brings the greatest joy because it's done purely 
out of um, out of the generosity of your heart. Uh, there's no expectation of getting anything back. You knock on the door uh, and ask for a cup of sugar. I guess they don't really do that anymore, but they used to. Ask your neighbor for a cup of sugar. The expectation is that you will return that cup of sugar. When you go abroad and you help somebody in a, in a economically impoverished community, there's no expectation. It's just pure love. It's pure service. And I think that's what I've learned. That's probably the most important thing that I've learned. Hmm. Very powerful. Extremely. Well, I, I love the fact, well, it, it's, uh, you know, there's that statement that says my life is, a, is, is my message. Um, that was one of the, it's either the Dalai Lama or Gandhi. I believe it was Gandhi. But that being said, what a, um, a compliment, if you, if you would, uh, to you and, and Michelle that, you're, that your sons are actually interested in following uh, this work that you've created that that says a tremendous amount about that they see the impact it's mirrored back to them and they want to be a part of it do you think that that will be true for all three of them well first of all it was absolutely amazing to us we we <laughs> we kind of looked at each other <clears throat> each of them came to us at different times they're 30, 31, and 35 now, and they came to us at different times to tell us that. Um, I mean, they all started working for us as teenagers, uh, uh, cleaning the toilets and sweeping the floor. Um, but when they told us that they wanted to make this their life work, uh, we were we were very surprised. We never suggested it or insinuated it, certainly didn't expect it. But we are very pleased about it and we're very proud that they've decided to do this. Uh, and so for the last number of years, we've been mentoring them in in uh, that regard. They've traveled all over the world with me and with Michelle, and and um, they're, uh, they're deeply committed to this work. I think they learned early on that uh, the, the true meaning of life, the, 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 the true rewards are not going to be in how much money they earn. Um, that's not where it's going to happen. I do want to add this for your listeners who may think about uh, volunteering. Um, with the exception of doing your airfare, you got to do that on your own. We take care of everything else. Uh, and, and we recognize that um, it's difficult for most Americans and Canadians, and for that, for, for that matter, many people around the, the planet, to live in a developing community. And so we take that difficulty away. We just erase it. By, by staying in uh, very comfortable uh, tourist class hotels or guest houses. In Tanzania, for example, we actually built our own guest house that has 
uh, hot and cold running water, has real beds, has fans and and good cooks and uh, literally all the comforts of home. And 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 we do that because we just know that if we didn't, and people are only there for one or two weeks, that they'd be spending all their time trying to figure out where where they're going to sleep and how are they going to deal with it and how are, what, what food is safe to eat. And so we just take all that away so that there's the, those concerns are non-existent. And then people go to work and, um, and they work on one or more of these projects we've been talking about hand in hand with local people, learn from and about the local people experience the culture, enjoy the singing, enjoy the dancing, enjoy the worship service, uh, or whatever it is that's uh, going on in that community. Uh, so there's no heavy lift on the, uh, on the logistical issues because we just take care of all of those. Another um, question that has occurred to me, if there is a school... Uh, for example, that um, is in Haiti, one comes to mind. And the story is that a woman uh, was very successful as a school teacher and moved on in administration, collected all her funds, if you will, and then uh, went back to her homeland of Haiti and built this tremendous school. And then they had the earthquake and it was totally destroyed. So, her life's work, you know, of investment in that to give back and a school that was going extremely well. So she's been, you know, really um, going through some things over the last few years, to say the least. Is that a door for an organization such as that uh, to contact your organization as far as to do some projects? Would that be would that fit into that category? Sure, we we um, we get invitations from around the world often. Okay, uh, folks asking us to um, to provide some assistance, and where we can, we do. We don't have, we never have enough volunteers to meet all the requests. Um, but we're we're we always welcome every request. But I would say a word to to the, the, the woman that you just mentioned, I understand how devastating and disappointing that might be. But, but I, I'm always consoled by the words of Mother Teresa, who said, God does not require that we succeed. God only asks that we serve. Hmm. There's always going to be earthquakes or droughts or famine or war or other things that interfere with our ability to succeed. Um, But if enough of us serve, those things won't matter. Hmm. I know you've been focusing quite a bit also on uh, Tanzania. Do you want to talk about that at all? Yeah, we've worked in Tanzania since 1987. Our 
partner there is the Evangelical Lutheran Church in Tanzania. We're non-sectarian, as I mentioned, but we work on the ground, whoever is is uh, doing human and economic development. And most often, uh, those are faith-based organizations. Uh, several years ago, we started a we started a pilot project in St. Lucia to um, um, see if if short-term volunteers could really make a significant lasting impact in a comprehensive way, not doing just English teaching or just container gardens or just healthcare or just tutoring math or just uh, building schools, but a comprehensive effort, doing all those things simultaneously. And we learned a great deal from that. And we were asked then by our longtime partner in Tanzania, if we would take those learnings, those lessons, and, uh, and transfer them to Tanzania. Tanzania's stunting, nationwide stunting, um, at the, in, in four years ago was 42%. 42% of all the children in Tanzania were stunted. And the president of Tanzania asked me and our the church if if we could work on that issue, and so that's that's why we decided to um, to do that. Um, it's our judgment, it's our belief that short term enough short term volunteers could eliminate stunting on the planet within a generation. And so the program there is a demonstration to show that short-term volunteers can have that impact. Now, in the final analysis, only parents can really do that. Only parents can prevent stunting because they're the ones that are responsible to make certain that their children have the food and nutrition and protection from disease. Uh, but they have to have the resources. They have to have the knowledge. They have to know how to do that. And then they have to be supported as they're trying to change behavior. Um, and so we're working in a very remote set of villages. There's about six villages now we're working there. And um, everything from hand washing with soap and water to how to have a healthy pregnancy to um, the garden boxes and the chicken coops, health clinic, all the things that are necessary to enable parents to ensure that their children can be born healthy and remain healthy. Um, and our goal is to eliminate stunting in those villages and thereby demonstrate to the world that short-term volunteers can have that kind of impact. Wow. Because we think, we think that if people really knew, if they really knew, if there was evidence, concrete, hard evidence, that by volunteering two or three weeks a year, they could, in fact, ensure that stunting would be eliminated, that we'd have enough volunteers to do that. And back to the National Geographic magazine, I, I remember as a, a child uh, watching, uh, watching and reading and looking 
you know, at all of those things. And imagery is, is very, very powerful. I mean, as a, just a, not to digress in any way, but the perfect example here is when I talk to people in other states about uh, red tide, you know, it's like, and I go, oh yeah, you know, they're bulldozers lifting turtles up, you know, that are, that are huge or manatees have died and, you know, and they go, I, I had no idea, <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, <laughs> but you know, on the subtitle is, you know, red tide is hitting, you know, all over Florida and this is happening, but it's, you know, it's, and I'm sure you find this in your work too. It's, I don't, I'm not saying it's intentional or that people just want to be asleep, but there is something about imagery and people being able to really hear it and see it in, in a way that's simplistic. It's like, wow, you know, how many times I'm sure have you heard, but, oh, I had no idea, <laughs> you know, when it's, it's so big and it has been for a long time the the poverty and the you know out of balance that our planet is with you know villages and people suffering and children dying of hunger and or are never really living you know it it's twofold and i love that you're putting so much attentiveness into that too because if we can do something as your organization can before a child is two then there's the odds are really, really good for them to have a much better opportunity to, to live and, and live in a better way. Yeah. Well, that's absolutely right. But I, I, I should quickly add that this is very selfish on my part. I won't speak for my wife, but it's very selfish on my part. My uh, faith, my Christian faith teaches me that upon my human death, I will uh, be held accountable by the Creator. And I suspect, given Scripture and focus on children, that one of the questions just might be, and so what did you do for my children? Mm -hmm. And I want to make sure I have an answer. So that's what drives me. It's not all altruism. It's just the recognition of one's responsibility. Yeah, it's just, it's part of, of what we do and, and who we are. You know, that's just uh, part of giving back to having the beautiful grace of being a human being on this planet and being able to do things with resources or creative ideas to make a difference. So, well, I give thanks that you spent that week and at Disney and <laughs> Michelle spent that week, you know, serving um, because of the 35,000 volunteers and the many volunteers that will come thereafter to be part of, of globalvolunteers.org. So I want to invite all of you to go to the website, globalvolunteers.org, know more about what they're doing. And also, again, if you have an organization, look at how you can align with them become part of their value system or you as an individual look at a trip that you've been wanting to take that would allow you to actually be of service. So I want to thank all of you for tuning in today and thank you for being with us. We're most appreciative that you are here and encourage you to go to uh, templehays.com or 
firstunity.org to know more about the various programs that we're offering and what we're doing in the world. And definitely check out the earth boxes because that's such an effortless model. Thank you for being with us. We're so grateful. Thank you for sharing our show with others. And, and thank you for your ongoing support to Unity Online Radio. Many blessings. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. If you're inspired by the teachings of Dr. Wayne Dyer, you will love the Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life podcast with Nadia Dela Cruz. You are a spiritual being having a human experience. My name is Nadia Dela Cruz, and I started the Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life podcast to explore spiritual topics like manifestation and meditation with guests who share their own stories of insight, awakening, and transformation. Listen now on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.